Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Steeler. Fury. This call is your SteelerFury.com podcast. I'm your host, Bradshaw Ben slash Accidental Zen slash uh, that guy who's still wondering what the hell happened at the end of Sunday's game uh, in this with the Steelers and Patriots. Uh, and here to talk all about it are my favorite cohorts, because they're my only cohorts, uh, my only friends in the whole world. First of all, from Pittsburgh Suburban Zone 22, he is still Perch. How are you, sir? Well... The Steelers lost the game, probably blew the one seed, but I'm happy to announce I did invent three new swear words. <laughs> that may live on. Excellent. Uh, also with us, the one person in, uh, rooting for the Steelers who didn't think that was a catch for Jesse James, his name is FC. He's here. How are you, sir? Um, I didn't invent three swear words, but I also did not have a stroke or a heart attack, so... I mean, I will go with that. I'm, I'm hanging in there. Yeah, I think it was a close call for several of us. My yeah. my blood pressure was elevated for uh, you know about two hours after the game. Like I couldn't, I could not, it's like uh, calm myself down. Uh, even three three glasses of scotch did not do the trick. <laughs> Wasted some very good scotch on that game. Damn it. Um. So go ahead, FC. You when you saw the pass to Jesse James. On, uh, on first down from first and 10, uh, first and goal, whatever they were calling it, uh, you thought to yourself, No touchdown. Drop the ball. Um, he got, didn't complete the catch. Now, it's different than Devis Bryant's. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying I don't think it should be a touchdown. But as soon as, even before they went to review, I said, uh, boys, girls, they're going to rule this no touchdown. Um, he dropped the ball on the reach, didn't complete the catch. Um, which I think is horseshit. I think if a defender came in, touched him on the back before he stretched the ball over the ensign, I believe they would have called it a completion, ball down to one. But since he didn't have complete control of the ball throughout the catch, I kind of thought we were going to get fucked, which we did, sort of. By the letters of the rule. Yeah, well, there's an... Well, I mean, they, we can debate what the rules actually say and how they're applied in other instances. Like, I mean, I don't know. You can point to me, that's the, the thing examples is... Over the last two years where they've called those touchdowns and they were not, my big question to myself is, if Ron Gronkowski made that catch, stretched the ball across the end zone like that, would it have been a touchdown? And I can't 100% say no. And that's why I have a real problem with the play. Yeah, look, look no further than Brandon Cooks earlier this year for a game-winning touchdown uh, against the Texans. Uh, Perch, uh, I mean, if, if your square words 
peaked at that point, or did they peak uh, two plays later or one play later? And sequence. Oh, I, I, uh, you know, it, it kind of stretched between. You know, you're going to divide it equally amongst <laughs> the, the whole thing. But you know, uh, the average football fan, the majority, the I'd say the overwhelming majority of football fans do not understand that catch rule. My problem understanding the catch rule, I think it was misapplied because, okay, you're going to the ground, you have to maintain uh, possession all the way through. Yes, the ball moved. But if you look, he dove to the end zone. His elbow hit. The ball was in his left hand. His left and right hand then rotated up off the force of the ground. His right hand was underneath the football. I have not, and I've looked at thousands of replays and still pictures, I have not seen a single not a single conclusive evidence that shows that that ball lost out of his hands, hit the ground without the right hand underneath it. And in a game of that magnitude, a play that was called a touchdown on the field, you must have conclusive evidence. They reviewed that play for five minutes, and the longer it went, the more everybody started thinking, they're trying to find a way to, to screw the Steelers out of this touchdown. I mean, that's all it could possibly be. Uh, th- there was zero 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 and every all these national people saying well yeah that is the right call because you know when they go to the ground if if the ball moves you know it's it's that's not the role it it has to actually hit the ground it can move all at once it's not like he went out of bounds he can still feel the play who cares if the ball moved if the ball was out of his hands resting on the ground then okay then that would have been a correct uh, application of the rule never at any point has anybody and i have challenged every every referee official person online every media person just show me a conclusive evidence that Jesse James' left and right hand, one of the two, is not underneath that ball the entire time. It's not out there. It doesn't exist. So how do you overturn that call? That's exactly what re- replay was designed for correcting badly missed calls, not nitpicking and changing entire courses of a football season over something that may or may not have happened but we're not totally sure on. And that's what happened on that overturn. They overturned a play that there was no conclusive evidence that was so damn, you know, it was it was a touchdown by any layman who watched the game. And, you know, their motivation for overturning that, you can your guess is as good as mine, but it was it was the wrong call because there is no conclusive evidence that that ball hit, clearly hit the ground without his hand underneath it. That's where my issue with the play lies. Let's talk for a second about the uh, after the Jesse James play. Were you, were you more upset about the decision on second down to throw the ball short of the end zone in the field of play uh, in, you know, with no timeouts there or with the sort of you know, lack of communication, uh, play call on third down, forcing the ball, any of those things? What was the most disturbing part for you? most disturbing part was the Jesse James not, uh, catch not being a touchdown. I was hoping it was going to be. I just, but... Um... Yeah, I didn't like the, 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 the call short of the end zone, especially whenever the player didn't immediately get out of bounds. I mean, just run out of bounds, gain six inches, get out of bounds, that sucks the clock. You can't go backwards and go out of bounds because the clock continues to run in the NFL. Next play after that, you know, um, where they called slants, and you basically have eight defenders, you know, attacking the middle of the field. I would hope Ben would put the ball through the uprights we run out Boswell, kick the field goal, tie it, and play for overtime. That's not going to, you know, maybe we lose in overtime still. But, no, the prevailing thing was the feeling of we got fucked, Jesse James didn't score. Or they're not going to call this a touchdown. I was still in shock over that. And then whenever Ben threw the touchdown, I flipped the remote, walked downstairs, and everybody can <laughs> figure out what went on down there. But I couldn't even smoke the pain away. So. 
Yeah, uh, I understand. Uh, Perch, I mean, you know, so so much has been made about the fact that during the the review for Jesse James, that uh, apparently the the team got three different potential outcomes from the officials, and uh, they they discussed what they were going to do in each of the three situations, but that they didn't specifically call two plays uh, in the offensive huddle uh, before that second down snap. You know, do you, how do you feel about how this went? How this transpired? Where do you you know what what would you like to see them done differently? Yeah, I have a hard time nitpicking there. I mean, what an emotional game that was. That juju play, and that, you know, we always like to focus on the negative. That kid is a stud. How many times have we talked about the big plays and the things he's done, and just we're, he's getting zero recognition for the play that he made to get the Steelers into that position to go up to take that game-winning touchdown. That all gets lost because of what happened with the referees, but. You know, they, they made those two, you know, they went from the emotion of being up to seeing the lead dwindle away to being down with very little time left on the clock to march down the field in two plays in under 30 seconds to score the game-winning touchdown. They're over there celebrating. It was a clear touchdown. They knew it. They never, there was never even a thought in their head until the referee came over and said, well, he might be down to one. Everybody who saw the replay, the defender was nowhere near touching him. I don't even think, you know, from what Tomlin said, that they weren't even talking about that being an incomplete play. Uh, Ben's radio interview, he said, well, what, what were you doing during the, you know, that d- downtime there? He said, well, I was praying. He was down. And they literally, if you look on the ground, he was down on the ground praying that it was a touchdown. They, they didn't really spend the time. I mean, to me, that falls back on Todd Haley. You know, he's got to be prepared in that situation as the coach, as, the, you know, the non-emotional person, the guy who's the cerebral leader of that offense to say, hey, guys, just in case, let's put, you know, a couple of plays in. I can't fault them. I can't fault Ben for being super aggressive at that last play to, to try and win because he didn't want to play for the tie. You know, it just to me, it all comes back to that touchdown being wiped out. It was a clear catch. It was a move. It was a dive to the end zone. The ball moved in the end zone. That Both hands were underneath it. There was never any conclusive evidence that wasn't a catch. The league fucked the Steelers. I, I have a hard time faulting anybody else in that process. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm. I mean, first of all, I'm with you on on the Jesse James play because because of the lack of, uh, particularly because of the lack of conclusive evidence. Um, but you know, I kind of you know, here's how I feel about it. I Ben caught a lot of flack because he said he his instinct was to spike the ball on third down and kick the field goal. That's what he you know. I mean, I, I feel like it this way. People are giving him flack for that because it's like, well, you're going to waste a chance to win the game. But, you know, if you're the guy on the field and you know that nobody there is really ready for you to call a play and, and hurry and do something and you, that you know the execution is going to be there, as he said, you know, there's no blocking scheme called really. There's no routes called really. You know, and it's like down to the last to the wire there with the clock. I, I guess I can understand that instinct on his part, uh, you know, giving him some slack for at least the thought because, you know, under the circumstances it might have been a good choice, although – you know, I didn't think the Steelers were going to win if that game goes to overtime. I felt like that's, you know, a real dicey proposition. Um, but he almost but, got sacked on that play, too. That's something nobody really talks about, where he starts scrambling around, and he held that ball, and there was two defenders closing in on him. If he gets sacked, well, that, that yeah. might, that's probably worse than throwing the interception. Yeah, I concur. Well, I, I think, you know, the uh, same results. But, yeah, uh, Eli is lined up all the way to the right. He's basically playing Antonio Brown's position, running a slant 
and although it was only single coverage, he had to clear two guys in the front who were just standing there at the snap. So Ben needed the time to get in there, and Jesse James uh, didn't really – he neither ran route nor blocked anybody and allowed his guy to come in and pressure Ben. You know, so it's sort of like, you know, I just feel like – I mean, I'm, I see both sides of it. I, I kind of think you want to have a play there that everybody knows is the play we go to if there's we're desperate, we need a touchdown – it's the last chance to score. This is the play we run, you know, or this is the two-point play. Like, it could have been one of their two-point plays that they that they run from that position. Uh, well, I guess it was 10 yards, but still, you know, something that was a, like, if if the game is on the line it, and we don't have time to communicate, this is what we're going to do sort of thing. Uh, but that's that's a lot of hindsight and, and nitpicking for a situation where, uh, you know, it wasn't, to me, it was not that clear. Um I know that, like I said, I, I hear the arguments from the people that it should have been more planned out than that, but I'm just not sure you can, you know, you can think about all the contingencies and you can know what you want to have done, but Tomlin is there. I don't know, FC, did you see the the uh, footage from NFL Films with the audio of the sideline? I did not. i seen it. I, I, I actually didn't really pay attention to it, which makes me horrible. No, no, you, you, I can understand wanting to not think about it, but, but basically... You know, a couple couple of things, sound bites from that, and it's hard to know the full context of everything. But a couple of sound bites are, you know, Tomlin saying, "If this before the the, the uh, DHB play, the uh, Hayward Bay play, before that happened, he says, you know, to, to Todd Haley, hey, look, remember, if we get this, if this stops on the field of play, we can't clock it. We got to run a play. Uh, and uh, then, you know, the moment that uh, Hayward Bay is tackled inbounds." He turns to Haley and he says, we can't clock it. Call a play. Call a play. And then, like, he yells at him, call a play. And although Haley's not mic'd, it kind of seems like Haley does not call a play in that situation. Maybe giving him the benefit of the doubt, he thinks to himself, there's not enough time for Ben to communicate the play, and I'm just going to be in his ear, like, uh, confusing what he's trying to do right now because he's calling a play. Uh, but they, they just did the coach, you know, the head coach told him what the plan was ahead of time said to him, call a play, and he didn't call a play. I, like, I, I'm not, do you want, you know, do you want Mike Tomlin to, to call the plays ahead of time for every play situation? Like, I, I'm not sure that's what you really expect your head coach to do, right? I you. don't expect him to do it, but I expect them to be on the same page. And I know that's difficult to do with the situation that you just described and with the bullets flying. But, you know, at the same time, you know, we've, we've this the offense coordinator and Mike Tomlin have been together for three years, four years. We we got to have better success. There got to be a better plan um, of action. And you know, the people that are saying, well, the Steelers didn't look prepared, or you know, they were running around, you know, like a fire drill. You know, I have a hard time knocking those responses because you know the the proof is in the pudding. You know, if if there's success, you know, Mike Tomlin and Todd Haley now are being, you know, like, wow, what a great plan they had, you know, oh, they had it, you know, all together. I don't like bad-mouthing people whenever shit doesn't come together. I don't like what-ifs. And unfortunately, that's what you're left with here, you know. Um, I, I Is there anything I would have done differently? Maybe, you know, but, you know, hindsight's, 
you know, 2020. And I'm not going to knock guys for trying to make, you know, what they thought was the best play. Do I have a problem with Tomlin? No. Do I have a problem with Haley with that? No. I have a problem with Haley when, you know, on our last three offensive drives before we went down in the game. You know, I, you know, trying to protect an eight-point lead is never a great idea. I mean, Tom Brady and New England, and especially after they kicked the field goal and they're down five, you know, my heart dropped just like probably every fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers' hearts dropped into their throat. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Perch, just one last thing on this, uh, the, the, the Todd Haley thing. Percentage chance that Ben and Haley are not on speaking terms? <laughs> Oh, seriously, because I don't know. Because I don't know don't care that there's obviously some friction between the two. You know, Ben's pretty quick to throw Haley under the bus whenever these things go on. Or I, I thought this. I shouldn't. Have, I shouldn't have done that. Or you know, coach told me this. I don't know. I, I think the other really stupid thing was the whole timeout scenario. Whenever they completed that long juju play, there's thirty some seconds left. Ben signals to the sideline asking, "Should we call a timeout?" The referees gave him a timeout. Tomlin said we didn't want the timeout. So let's say that Tomlin got his way. By the time they run down that field, line everybody up and spike the ball, how much time's left on the clock? 15 seconds? And now you're on second down. Sure, you have a timeout, but then, so say they run that play to DHB and he gets tackled in bounds, they burn their timeout. There's not enough time for two plays. You're kicking the field goal there anyway. So, I don't know. To me, I'd rather almost always, because you can control. If you're down inside the 10 with 38 seconds and you get tackled inbounds, it's pretty easy to get up and spike it or call call two plays. I think it worked out better the way that it did than had they milked the clock all the way down to 15 to line up and spike it, which then effectively gives them one play to score. And then they end up going into overtime not having ever used that timeout. So, that's I think they were wrong in that situation, but, you know. Everybody's got their own way of doing it. Sure. Um, and to FC's point about you know what happened in the in the fourth quarter, I mean the Steelers really shut it down offensively in the fourth quarter. Uh, but the thing that got me was that you know that drive where they really they were in a situation with the t- situation with the clock where you know if they if they get a first down, maybe even one first down, definitely if they get two first downs, but even one first down puts a big pretty big crimp in in the New England being able to come back and and do anything more than tie the game. Uh this is before New England field goal drive. And uh, they had in the game on first down they they ran James Carner. He got about nine yards, tore his MCL and there was a holding penalty, brought them back. Then after a false start, it's now, you know, uh first down and super long and Toussaint is in the game. So in neither you know, that you're in the situation where you basically need one first down and Le'Veon Bell's not in the game and you're not really trying to pick up that first down once it gets to be first and long. I mean, to, to me, how can Le'Veon Bell, who leads the NFL in the number of carries and is apparently an Iron Man that can go forever, not worried about running the wheels off of him, how can he be out of the game in that situation? How is that possibly defensible? It was awful. I'll throw one other situation we didn't talk about at you. Fourth and one when the Steelers were up by five, their own 30-some yard line, I might have the situation off a little bit. Why not go for You're playing New England. You know if you punt them back, Brady's going to march down the field and score a touchdown on you. You also know we were literally one yard from running out the clock and winning that game. 
And, and, and if you don't score, you have all three timeouts. Or if you don't get that first down, New England's probably going to score. You're going to get the ball back with two minutes left, you know, or a minute and a half left to, to go down and march your own field goal to, to tie or win the game. To me, anytime you've got Ben and Bell and, you know, Brown wasn't in the game at that point, but the offense that you have, and you have the situation to go fourth and one to gain one yard to guarantee a win, you do it. You know, and to me, that, that was, you know, I think Swiss on the board even brought that up. Why the hell didn't we just go for that fourth and one and then run out the clock? Uh, that, that's something I think they blew, too. Yeah, sort of akin, akin to the uh, onside kick against Green Bay. It's like the worst-case scenario. It fails. They score faster. It gives you more time to come back down. But exactly. being that they, yep. needed, they needed more than three points at that point, it just, it's kind of like, you know, why not? You know, I agree with you 100%. Um, and just it's the kind of thing that, you know, NFL coaches so rarely do uh, in their own end like that. But when you're playing Brady and Gronkowski, you know, they, I think they just out, they get, I don't know if they outthink themselves, but they get into thinking that it's just another game with another, uh, you know, we can trust our defense. They won't be able to drive the whole length of the field, blah, blah, blah. But, you're, you're, you know, let's face it, particularly Brady and Gronkowski, are are some special players. I mean, we can hate them all we want, but those guys are pretty freaking good. I mean, you know, I don't know. Actually, to that end, let's talk about the defense for a second. In general, it seemed like they they, uh, they did a much better job, I, I think, than I expected them to do, especially without Shazier or Hayden. Um, but, you know, no answer for Gronkowski. I mean, that's the problem with man-to-man, correct? Well... You know, I, I think the bigger problem with man-to-man is playing your your safety 50 yards off the line. I mean, all those plays, back, go back and look at those 20- and 30-yard balls down the field to, to Gronk. Uh, Mike Mitchell is playing 40, 50 yards off the line of scrimmage. Gronk is catching the ball 20 yards downfield, and, and the safety is still 15 yards away from him. Um, I don't know what the answer is. I think you have to double the guy. If you double the guy, you're getting single coverage on the some of the other speedy receivers they have. I, I kind of wonder, you know, for as good as the, the outside corners did in that game, I thought they did a pretty good job, the two young guys. When Hayden comes back, you just say, hey, Hayden's the best cover guy we got. Let's just throw him on Gronk. He's got a long reach, and he's got better coverage skills. And sure, he's given up a bunch of size, but he might be your best option. Just use him in that Sean Davis role and put Sean Davis deep you know, to kind of play that over-the-top role. But uh, I don't know otherwise. You know, that's the thing about New England is whatever you take away, they're going to beat you some other way. So. Yeah, it's true, although Gronkowski is the, you know, most difficult thing to take away, even if you try. Um, FC, are you there? I'm here. Oh, sorry, because I, I, I asked you that question and Perch poached you, but it's oh, okay. No, Perch never poaches me. I tend to talk a lot. What I would do is – um. I would force them to line up Gronkowski pretty much as a split end or, you know, out wide. Um, I would take away their ability to line him up inside. And the way I would do that is um, I would line up my defensive end almost in a wide nine. So if Gronkowski can get a clean release off of Stefan Tuitt or Cameron Hayward off the line of scrimmage, because I'd basically tell the two of them, bury him. I if we if they gash us with a run, so be it. I'll accept that. I am. They showed us now four or five games in a row that Rob Gronkowski is our kryptonite. So he isn't getting a clean release. I have three yards from where the ball is lined up to where I'm allowed to manhandle a guy and I can be grabby. And 
I'm 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 willing to sacrifice one of my pro bowl level defensive ends in the three four. I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit against the run to make sure he doesn't get a clean release. Now they're going to split them out. They're going to line them up on a slot. And obviously our outside linebackers can't do the job. Mike Mitchell and Sean Davis continuously hit him at the numbers or a little bit higher whenever he caught the ball. I don't think that's the right idea. Um, I think their aiming point should be the belly button. So if your helmet's going to the belly button, that means your shoulders are going to basically be at the knees or at the thighs. I'm not looking to hurt somebody, but at the same time, it's a player's responsibility to protect themselves. The, the reason Rob Gronkowski gets all the lower body injuries that he does is because he has no respect or he doesn't think anyone's going to hit him hard enough in the lower body to where he has to be overly concerned. And I fucking attack him. I, I attempt to legally injure him. By, I, I'm not going to his head. I'm not going to his shoulder. He's 6'7", 265. He's too big for that. What I will do, we'll see how long those legs will hold up, how long that body will hold up. Because he's going to make his place. He's going to get his catches. But, you know, I'm willing to give up some battles to win the war. And if he can come out in the second half, my, if we play them again, my game plan didn't work. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, it's an interesting idea about the DNs, but I mean, what about what about Watt and Dupree? I mean, you got a guy on the side each. TJ Watt, you know, they attempt side. to cover deep. I'm going to put it this way: TJ Watt is going to be the next big Pittsburgh Steelers flop. I can guarantee you. What, I, what I, I say it about Dupree. I don't mean in coverage. I mean just chucking him off the line before he gets picked up by a Davis. I don't know him. if he's not intelligent enough. I don't know if he doesn't have heavy enough hands. I don't know if he doesn't have the weight in his ass. I don't know if he doesn't have the football IQ. I don't know if that was their plan. From what I've seen, the only Bud Dupree actually looked a little bit better rushing from right outside linebacker. Um, I was actually very disappointed in the play of T.J. Watt um, against New England. If you go back, you look at that all 22, you know, it's like Javon Hargrave. I mean, he, he came up with one pressure. I got drilled on my Twitter feed. Then I went up on on Twitter and I put up 16 other video clips of Javon Hargrave, and you could have heard the birds chirping. Not a word, not a single comment, which doesn't shock me. I'm I'm, I'm trying not to get negative. The the Steelers should have won that game, but the Steelers left a lot of plays on the field, and our drafts are looking worse and worse and worse and worse. Cameron Sutton looked like a big-time winner to me. I will say that, but if you – if you look at the other defensive players that that you know we've taken in, in the top three rounds over the last four years, you know which one would you say really stood out in that game? What 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 first round pick was a difference maker? Would you see Cameron Hayward was to it? Javon Hargrave, Sean Davis, Artie Burns, T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree, you know Vincenzo Williams. Vince Williams is probably you know the guy that stands out from that game, fifth round pick on defense. I'm, it, it's, it, you know, we can, you know, blame Todd Haley. We can blame Ben Roethlisberger. We can blame the referees. We can blame Jesse James. At what point the Pittsburgh Steelers fans look back in the mirror and say, you know what, we invested so much in these guys, and what return are we getting? So, yes, I'm not a DJ. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand. I mean, I, I, girls for me. Until he, looked lo- he, looked, he looked lost. In this game, in terms of you know everything that he did, his instincts sent him to the wrong place, took him out of place. Absolutely, like that that to me is playing Tom Brady with his eyes, you know, and understanding that he is manipulating you into doing things. Um, so I don't know. I mean, um, 
I, I will I will I will I will acknowledge that I think Artie Burns uh played pretty well. Uh you know the as Perch said, the outside guys in this game basically did nothing. Uh and even when right. I you know, faced with covering Gronk they did pretty well. I thought our Artie Burns outside of a bullshit call wasn't that bad in this game. I didn't think Mike Mitchell was that bad, Sean Davis had his is there my problem is more I I want I mean it's just I look at what we invested, and I look at what the goal of this team is. That's to be able to beat the New England Patriots and win a Super Bowl, and I don't think we're that much closer. I think that, you know, Joe Hayden's going to be a huge return. I think Joe Hayden's going to be lined up probably for the most part against either Chris Hogan or against Cooks. And I'll put it this way. Cameron Sutton showed me a lot. Going into next year, Cameron Sutton and Artie Burns might be fighting for a job. Sure. Well, and it's no certainty that they'll keep Hayden either, really, with the contract situation. I, thought, I mean, I, I, I imagine they will. I mean, it, it's a three-year deal. Whenever you break it down, we are eating a good bit of the, the bad part of the contract this year. I'll be shocked if we don't retain him. That was Mike Tomlin's guy. If, if, it, it's it's going to be something shocking if Joe Hayden's not back, you know, to me next year. Yeah. All right, so Perch, so Perch going forward, you know, I mean, I assume they this is this just stokes the fires of like all, everything that's happened this year, and us against them, and all that great stuff that coaches love to use. Um, you know, do you do you sense the possibility for a letdown this week against the team in Houston that, you know, has got problems with their quarterback and their season's definitely over, and you know all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, the Steelers are a ten-point favorite on the road, which is absolutely horrific. I mean, it's frightening. I think they're like one in ten against they're they're one in ten against the spread in those the last eleven games when they're up when they're ten point favorites on the run. I think they're actual they were losing actual record too without not even counting the spread. So yeah, I mean it sets up exactly like you know what we've seen this team plot before. Now having watched Houston a little bit, man, they're they're in a pretty rough spot right now. You know, top two or three stars in their defense are out. You know, they've lost to Sean Watson. They're just they they look like a team mailing it in at this point. But, you know, they played Baltimore close a couple weeks ago. They, they've played some close games, you know, since Deshaun Watson has gone down. That they've got It's an NFL talented team. It's Christmas Day. Some of the Steelers are going to be distracted. They're, you know, still pissed about last week. I think that the saving grace, though, is they still know they've got something to play for. They do not want to be playing the wild card round. They don't want to be playing at Jacksonville in the second round, you know, a team that they lost to at home. So, I think they've got enough motivation. I think they're they're a little bit salty over the way that New England game ended. So I, I I half expect them to go down there and have a good showing. But if they don't, would any of us be surprised? I won't be shocked. I'll be shocked if they lose. I won't be shocked if they don't come close to covering. I won't be shocked if it takes a last second group bunch of fucking magic for the Sears to win. If that's what you know, yeah. So no, I don't expect the Sears to to blow them out. Or to have a nice, easy Christmas, you know. Yeah, well, I guess I guess I put it this way. Um, I you know watched Houston a little bit. Actually, some more NFL football this year from other teams than I have in a while. Um, you know, for a while there, I was rewatching the you know pretty much every game. Uh, T.J. Yates might be the best quarterback Houston has started, other than Deshaun Watson in the last two years. You know, so he's he's he when he came into the game last week, he actually looked really good um, for for a while there. So I guess I'm not I wouldn't be stunned if they can keep it close because 
you know, you have a guy that's got a little bit of experience and, uh, you know, the team rallies around him for a, for a half of football. I could see it being a close half of football, but if it's closer beyond a half, I'd be, I'd be disappointed, I think, in, in what this team is made of. Um, you know, but who knows <laughs> with this crew? Hard to say. Uh, one good thing, uh, Perch, is that, you know, the Steelers will know by Monday night uh, the result of that New England game. You know, it could be that it, it could be a, if New England gets a game out of Buffalo and maybe, uh, you know, falters themselves, which, is, which, although unlikely, is not completely out of the question, that would change the scenario entirely, I hope. I mean, could it be worse for Steelers fans last weekend's result or if New England loses to Buffalo and then the Steelers lose in Houston? That would be worse, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that scoreboard watching is going to affect this game either way because they still have the same amount to play for because they're, you know, effectively one game behind New England and one game in front of Jacksonville. So whatever happens in that first game doesn't affect the second. So, I mean, they, they've got to win the last two, which to me is kind of a good yeah. thing because one of the concerns I had, had we won against New England they and, and they, you know, had sewed up the number one seed this week, they probably would have arrested guys for Cleveland and then had three weeks. We know how bad they are coming up a bye week. I just can't imagine this this team, how out of sync they would have been, you know, with two or three weeks, three basically three weeks off between meaningful games. But I guess the other big, biggest concern I have right now is, well, you got to keep Le'Veon Bell in bubble wrap. I mean, how many times have we seen our running backs stable disintegrate this time of year going into the playoffs? And now Antonio Brown's down and won't be back to the playoffs. We don't have James Conner to lean on. You know, Ridley, I don't know why the hell they signed him. He's a fumble machine and has been out of football for a year. Uh, whatever happened to Terrell Watson, where's he at? I, I don't understand why he wasn't the guy to get brought back. Or D'Angelo Williams, even, who was still in pretty damn good football shape last year. I know he hasn't played this year, but, he, you know, he knows the system was a good player. So big concern there with me is, is just a running back stable at this point. Hope Bell doesn't get hurt. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, my joke was that they needed to sign Ridley so that in case Toussaint went down, they'd have another fumbler to stick in there. You know, I mean, that's, that's the only explanation I could come up with. I mean, realistically, though, it could, it could very well be possible that uh, D'Angelo Williams did uh, wanted too much money because that was his. You know, two weeks ago he just he said uh, that he was keeping in shape and not retired and wanted to you know find a team that needed him. To you know this this exact kind of situation, but he added to that that he was not interested in playing for the vet minimum, uh, and you know he wanted to be paid what he thought he was worth. So maybe maybe that makes the deal for all we know. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. That's a you know about as big a problem as inside linebacker uh, right now in terms of depth. Um, you know we barely have guys who can play inside linebacker, let alone the depth behind them. Um, so obviously that's a bit of an issue going into the. The postseason as well. I, I, um, I mean, to that end, FC don't have Antonio Brown, and you, you, you want to. I would say at least uh, keep an eye on your usage of Le'Veon Bell in this game. Uh, what do you try to do if you're the Steelers? I mean, could it be? Is it far fetched to think they might try to like put their foot on the gas early in this game, get a lead, and then you know phase out Bell a little bit? Is that too much to ask for? Yeah, it would be my plan as well. And since it's your plan, it's my plan, and I'm sure Purge is down with that plan. 
and about 99% of Steeler Nation is perfectly accepting of that plan, there's no way Todd Haley's going to do it. I completely agree with everyone's thoughts about Stephen Ridley. Um, I can't find a single redeeming quality about his game. Um, I, I, I got one. Thought, I got one for you. He's a uh, really good kick returner. He is. That's my only, that's my only plus, but go ahead. Going back to your fumbling comment, you know, um, I thought that they were just going to bring Watson off the practice squad and, you know, roll with that, but evidently not. They Evidently, there's something about Ridley's game they like. I will say this. He's actually uh, a decent in the passing game as well. I think that uh, they were looking for, in case something did happen to Bell, for someone that maybe they could slide in that could you know, assist them in the passing game. They know what they have with Terrell Watson in the running game. So if we do suffer another injury, I imagine Watson gets active. And we go with Ridley in the passing game, maybe try to split it into two. I have no idea what the Steelers are going to attempt to do against Houston. Um, Houston's defense is slowly been chipped away at, you know, because of injuries. Um, what I would like to do is just throw the ball get a 17-point lead, and then this hopefully let the defense walk it in, you know, maybe get Ben off the field, get, you know, Schuster, Smith-Schuster, everybody off the field that we can. You know, the wrap and bubble wrap comment, I do really buy into. I'm telling you this right now. I'm not going to be the least bit shocked if Buffalo gives New England one hell of a football game on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, we can get to, we're going to get to that in a second. But, sure. yeah, they have – they have some things uh, working in their favor in that regard. Um, Hertz, I'm willing to go out on the limb and bet that Ben and Le'Veon Bell are on the field for the final snap of this game on offense. That's what I'm thinking. FC is like, you're going to phase Ben out of the game. And, you know, it's like, I wish. That would be ideal, yes. Well, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to have him out there to get that last couple yards to position Boswell for the game-winning field goal. So There you go. You know. <laughs> Oh, you know, Jesus. there's actually a lot, and I, this is goes to the TB remarks, and he's a poster I really like. There is actually a lot of positive things that came out of that New England game, and I don't want to be completely negative, even though we should be. But, you know, Cameron Sutton looked like a star, and Vince Williams played his heart out, and I actually really had no problems with Cam Hayward or, or those guys. I wish they would have got more pressure. And the offense looked, you know, potent until Todd Haley decided that it was time not to be potent. And maybe that was Tomlin saying, you know, blah, 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 blah. Another thing to really look at is we're going to get probably back our best offensive lineman from suspension he didn't play and Marcus Gilbert, who I think is wildly underrated, you know. Um, hopefully we really haven't discussed the AB injury. And I hate to tell you this, boys, it's a lot more serious than a lot of people are thinking because um, I'm very concerned about that. But Jesse James continues to make plays despite the referees fucking him and Juju Smith-Schuster. Xavier Grimble blocked his stones off. I think Vance McDonald will be back for the playoffs. The Steelers had a, were missing some guys. Now, obviously, if we were getting Shazir back, I'd have big hopes. That's not going to happen. There's a lot of positive things. I don't want to be sitting here just negative, 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 negative. I'll be negative about the NFL. I'll be <laughs> negative about Tony Tony Corinthi. I'm not going to be super negative about the Pittsburgh Steelers other than Todd Haley taking his foot off the gas. 
Uh, hey, Perch, speaking of positives, we went this far and didn't mention Martavis Bryant, who who uh, played his best game in two years. Uh, I mean, even, well, I should say he played his best half in two years. I mean, I don't want to turn, I don't want to turn the positive into a negative, but it does seem like there's a chance, right, that, that he's now going to contribute a little bit more, make this offense unbelievable, dot, dot, dot. I think the arrow is definitely pointing in that direction. I mean, the fact that he was able to catch a one-handed touchdown while while having his uh, hand held before, during, and after the catch was pretty remarkable. No flag, by the way. Um, but him not being on the field for those last two plays is something else we didn't discuss. You got a six foot four athletic freak who could jump out the gym, and you don't put him on the field for the last two plays when you need a touchdown. I mean, it just what the hell are you doing? You could, you could at least throw – if they had just thrown a fade to Martavis Bryant on that last play, and even if it's incomplete, it's not going to get intercepted. It's going to be out of bounds. You get time to kick the field goal, and there's a pretty good chance that he can go up and make a play for you and, and redeem himself, and maybe that's the thing that you know sparks his season and propels him to a big playoff run. Uh, but, yeah, you know, he played well in that game. He had to play well in that game, and – uh, you just you just hope that he builds on. Let's it not that. forget about the Superman catch either, where he laid out yeah. and caught the forty or fifty yard. I I've never lost faith in him. I've lost faith in the offensive system more than I've lost. And I understand that you know, Plaxico. I mean, Martavius Bryant has made some mental mistakes <laughs> <laughs> in Pittsburgh, but he's a weapon. You know what I mean. He's not like a break glass in case of emergency type of weapon. He's a weapon that should be used more and more because, you know, whenever he's lined up to the opposite side of the formation of Antonio Brown, and if Le'Veon Bell is offset to to Antonio Brown's side, you really have no option but to single cover Martavius Bryant. If you want to slide the, the other safety over to Martavius Bryant, you have the other one slid over to Antonio Brown, that leaves your linebacker man-to-man coverage with Le'Veon Bell. I mean, that's why I have such high hopes for the Steelers, or had high hopes, still do, and I have high hopes for Martavius Bryant, because they should be able to scheme themselves into positions where defense coordinators have no choice. They should be going as crazy as the Steelers fans are trying to stop Rob Gronkowski but the Steelers have three major weapons in Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, and I'm not going to consider Martavius Bryant a major weapon. But you want to single cover him, good luck. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. So he doesn't have to be a major – he doesn't have to be an all-pro in terms of output. He just has to be a problem that you have to deal with, you know, you gotta be Mike Wallace. whenever you're lined up against him. Yeah, you there you go. Mike Wallace, you know what I mean? Sure. Eddie Chen um, for Carolina a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Uh, well, well, gents, let's uh, you know, you know, I don't know how much there is to talk about this game against Houston because you know, oh, with Houston so banged up and 2005, the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to win the Super Bowl this year. That's your big surprise. I haven't said it since 2005, and I was kind of sort of wrong, but kind of sort of right. They're going to win the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I mean, I'm if it it the whole season, not this weekend. But the whole season to me has that feel, it has that feel of, you know, urgency and that it's coming together and the breaks are going their way, yada, yada, yada. I mean, there's this injury thing from the last few weeks has put a little dent in my confidence. You know, if this team was sitting with Shazir and uh, Antonio Brown and Hayden all going to be there 
come the postseason, Ben and Bell, you'd feel a whole lot better about their chances. I mean, I think we'd be touting their chances no matter what had happened on Sunday. Uh, but other than that, I like a, from the vibe standpoint of it, yeah, it absolutely feels like a Super Bowl year. If we get uh, AB but, back healthy you know, and Hayden stays healthy, and obviously we're not getting back wrenches here, and we don't have any other injuries. Right now, if you had to put 10 bucks on a team to win the Super Bowl, I think you'd have a hard time not putting on the Steelers. Even if you weren't a Steelers. Yeah, I mean, just were just I mean, an I, investor. You know, if you were an investor I, looking I put at it on Eng- I put it on New England. You know, as long as they're on that side of the draw, because that's that's going to be the issue, is that they're going to end up, you know, having a first uh, playoff game that's going to be considerably easier than whatever the Steelers face in their first playoff game. That that's that's the only reason oh, right now, now I'm not 100 percent with you. Let, Go ahead. Let me let me let me stop you on that thought. Kansas City's starting to play good again. Kansas City has owned the Patriots two years in a row in Foxborough. The way that things flipped this weekend, if everybody wins out. It'll be, you know, the second round will be Jacksonville at Pittsburgh, Kansas City at New England. Uh, who's to say that yeah. Kansas City can't go in there and do it again? I'm, I'm more concerned about the Steelers getting by Jacksonville because that defense is nasty. And that, <laughs> that might be, to me, I, I was almost thinking after that Patriots game, I'd rather see New England again in the playoffs than, than have to face Jacksonville. But that's just me. Yeah. Do you, do you think that Ravens... Are you afraid of Jacksonville as well? I will admit that. I... I I do think that's the team that we, you know, I mean, the Patriots are their own cutthroat problem, but the matchup isn't nearly as bad as as uh, Jacksonville. And I even think the Ravens are a worse matchup in a way uh, for the Steelers. Uh, but speaking of which, Perch, to that end, Ravens right now, if everything, you know, finishes the way that it should, would play Kansas City. I'm not sure Kansas City beats the Ravens in that matchup. But maybe without Jimmy Smith now, maybe that's, you know, too late for them, but. Um, it just feels like you know that's a that they seem to have the formula to beat a team like that. Is, isn't Baltimore the sixth seed right now? Uh, yeah, I don't I'm think that's, there's any chance of that lasting because because of who they have left and who Baltimore and I mean uh, the Bills and Titans and all the Titans, other yeah. contenders, uh, Chargers with the schedule that they all face. I think I think Baltimore's not a mortal lock to, to end up with the five seed, but they look pretty good for it. Um, but yeah, it's a you know I don't know could be I wouldn't it wouldn't you know it wouldn't surprise me to see Baltimore win a playoff game because of uh, you know that's their mo. Anyway, to that end, we should talk about our around the league pick segment. It's brought to us by Tony Carini, you cheating cocksucker, Mike Pereira, Dean Blandino, Akib Talib's mum, Permani Brothers, and fucking Santa Claus. Well, you know, don't leave out Chico's bail bonds. And furthermore, Al Riveron is the guy that you're – that's the person that you really want to – I think we should lead with him because there's there's the guy that, you know, that overturned the Jesse James touchdown but allowed the Brandon Cooks touchdown earlier in the season. And he's the one that came up with the uh, – uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Safarian Jenkins uh, non-touchdown against the Patriots as well earlier this year. So here's a shout-out to Al. Um, Perch, let's just talk about the games that impact, uh, you know, the Steelers or, or playoff position here. Um, the main one is, uh, you know, we've already alluded to our thoughts about New England-Buffalo. New England's a 12-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Buffalo. Here's what I'll say about the Bills. Um, they uh, have a chance at a playoff spot. Their, their path to the playoffs is not 
you know, if they win this weekend in, in New England, they have a pretty good shot of going to the playoffs. That's a huge deal to a franchise that hasn't sniffed playoff uh, success for a while. Um, to a really, really loyal fan base. I think it's a good group of fans. You know, is is there a chance this game works out in Buffalo's favor? Why would Buffalo be able to win this game? Well, I mean, their defense has done pretty well at times <laughs> throughout the year, keeping people off the board. They've got a good running game. And as we saw, the Patriots' defense is not all world. You know, they can, they can be had. I just have a hard time seeing Brady blow another game. Um, so I, I'll take the Patriots not just to win, but to win cover. I'll be rooting like hell for the Bills, though. Yeah. FC, you think Buffalo might be able to pull the upset, or you were just blowing Here, I got a. I think there's a big thing that's being overlooked, and it's Gronkowski's dirty play against White. And that was against the Bills on the sidelines. And Sean McDermott looked like he literally would like to choke the fucking life out of Bill Belichick <laughs> after that game, even when they went shook hands. I think that outside of winning a Super Bowl, that this is the thing that could make Buffalo the happiest. Now, I expect New England's going to win. I'm not going to say they're going to cover. If I had a pick, I'd pick New England. But do not underestimate the hatred that the Bills have for New England. And another thing, do not underestimate payback coming to Ron Gronkowski for his atomic elbow drop on White. I think that there's going to be a little bit more to this game than just the New England Patriots coming out and kicking the shit out of the Buffalo Bills. I could be wrong. But we I shall. totally forgot about that this was the replay of the game where Ron yep. Cusky thought he was hold, held the whole game and that he, that he did the uh, the thing with Davis <laughs> White. So, yeah, this is uh, I forgot all about that element of this game. Oh, my God. Um, well, you know. Tyrod Taylor is not the fucking you know, greatest quarterback to have to win a single game against because – as much as we people say, oh, Cordell, oh, Cordell. Cordell could run. And Cordell could slip a ball 65, 70 yards in the air. And that's two things that you don't see a lot of in the NFL anymore. Sure. I don't know. Just, uh, you know, it could be a bloodbath. If it's a body bag game, it could be. You know, I'm not sure New yeah. England's really into the idea of playing a body bag game in week <laughs> 16. So, I don't know. But um, I was going to say this, guys, you know, uh, it's, it seems to me a little unlikely that New England will slip up and that the Steelers will be able to get the number one seed. But the second best scenario, if that if that can't happen, the second best scenario is that Jacksonville gets out of our side of the draw and becomes a four seed. Uh, and there is a possibility, or, or below that, and that does become a possibility because the Titans still have a chance to catch uh, Jacksonville, as ridiculous as that seems. Uh, and to that end... Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars are playing in San Francisco, suddenly rejuvenated with Jimmy Garoppolo playing quarterback. You know, I'll, I'll go first. My take is that, uh, you know, this is a pipe dream because Jimmy Garoppolo against the, that Jacksonville defense is going to fold like a cheap suit, for lack of a better cliche. Um, but, I don't know, uh, purchase their hope that, that Jimmy G could be the secret to making the Patriots, I mean, making the, the Jaguars fall out of the uh, the three seed. Jimmy Garoppolo's never lost a game. Jimmy Garoppolo's got a better career quarterback rating than Tom Brady. Come on, man. <laughs> Jags ain't beating Jimmy Garoppolo. That's my upset of the week. I'm taking I'm taking San Francisco to continue the mystique of Jimmy G 
and Jimmy G is going to get it done. Because the thing is, Perch, Jacksonville loses this game and the Titans win this week. Next week's game, Titans and Jacksonville for all the marbles in the AFC. Exactly. That's that's what the hope is. That's what the hope is. FC, what's uh, what's Um, your take on this game? My take is um, if you look to week nine of this season, you go nine to week 15, you know something like about San Francisco, and it's not obviously nothing to do with Jimmy Garoppolo. John Lynch, as much as he got bad mouths for his drafts and the moves he made, that defense is slowly starting to really turn it around. Now, they gave up 24 to Seattle, but whenever you look at that in hindsight, they really gave up 14 to Seattle and and San Francisco's offense gave up 10 points. Basically, what I'm getting at is Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't really turn the ball over very much, and San Francisco's defense has turned it around. I would bet Jacksonville. Well, I'd be shocked if San Francisco knocks, knocks Jacksonville off. Nope. And the reason is is because San Francisco has slowly started to turn around that defense. And the last time I looked, Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback is Blake Bortles. And... I understand Blake Boros has lit up the Steelers. Blake Boros has also thrown up some major stinkers in his NFL career. And I will I wouldn't bet on Jacksonville because I don't trust their quarterback and I won't be shocked if San Francisco knocks him off. I take the Niners in the points and I don't think it's many points. I think it's five. I think they're a five point home dog. Yeah. Yeah, four and a four and a half or five, yeah. Um well and the the more difficult part of that parlay though, Perch is uh, the Los Angeles Rams are a six and a half point favorite at Tennessee? You know, can we can we hope for that Dick LeBeau will uh, stop the running? You know, his defense will stop the running game of Gurley and uh, confuse Goff. Is it too much to ask for? Yeah, is that a one o'clock game? Home game. Yeah. It is indeed. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's, it's uh, yeah. There you go. Uh, you know, I, I think Tennessee's got to get it together the next couple of weeks. I think they're playing for their playoff lives. They can either go anywhere from being the three seed to being completely out of the playoffs, just depending on how they do. I think there's enough talent there. I think that uh, the Rams are coming off a pretty tough stretch of football. They've been playing a lot of big games lately. I think they're maybe due for a letdown. Uh, I'll take another upset in that game. Maybe I'm maybe I'm betting with my rooting interests here, but uh, I'm going to take uh, Tennessee to, to win that one too. This, this reminds me of uh... – what, what year was it? We needed a, we needed like a, we needed some help down the stretch to make the playoffs. I think it was the year with the where the where the uh, Kansas City kicker uh, missed the field goal. Uh, but you perch picked down the last four weeks of the season or five weeks of the season. He picked uh, er, every team that we needed to have win, and they all won in that stretch. I remember. So <laughs> good for you, Perch. Uh, FC, what do you think? Rams, I think Rams. the Tennessee Titans' only <laughs> chance of winning this game is if, uh, and this is completely against what I normally say, is they're going to have to be conservative, meaning offensively, um, eat the clock, control the ball, use Derrick Henry, use DeMarco Murray, and the big thing is, can Marcus Mariota use his legs? Is that hamstring close enough to 100% to where he can be the player that they drafted? And, you know, and make the plays with his feet to keep the chains moving and to keep Jared Goff and Todd Gurley off the field. Um, so I'm going to be cheering, obviously, for the Titans. Do I expect them to win? Perhaps, maybe not. But also don't forget, Jared Goff is due for a sinker as well. So I think Tennessee's best chance is to depend on their offensive line and those two running backs and to try to turn this into a Bill Cowher 
you know, hey, we're going to win the game 17-16, which is generally not my idea in modern football. But I think that's the best chance of winning is lunch sure. pail and truck football. Well, uh, just one last question, guys. Two weeks to go. Uh, Steelers, Patriots, uh, Jacksonville, and Kansas City are pretty much locks to make the playoffs in some position. Uh, who are the last two teams in the AFC, do you think, at the end of the season? I'll start with UFC. So basically, you want us to guess who the two wildcard teams are going to be? Or it could be that, that you know, Tennessee, win, I mean, you know, Tennessee or Kansas City could be a wild card. I mean, Tennessee or Kansas City could either be a wild win the West, the division. Despite mine and purchase better hopes from earlier in the year, I think they're going to win the West. Obviously, the Steelers win the North, the Patriots win uh, the East. If I had a bet, you know, the South, you're going to have to bet on Jacksonville. Jacksonville's probably winning it. But who right. are the other then two teams? That's really what it is. Baltimore's going to be your five seed, and then the six seed is going to be what's interesting. I'd probably lean towards, I guess, the Titans, but I'm not sure. I mean, it's this is as wide open as I can remember, you know, for two seeds, not one, but two seeds in one side of the conference in a pretty long time. It might be four or five years. If the NFL was yeah. looking for parity, they got parity. <laughs> uh, I think it's just a lack of good quarterbacks in the AFC. Maybe um, Perch, how do you? Who are the last two teams? Yeah, I think it's Baltimore, and Tennessee. I think Tennessee wins one of these final games and finishes nine and seven. Maybe Baltimore comes in at ten and six. You know, give Tennessee the tiebreaker over maybe Buffalo, or I don't think I don't think uh, San Diego gets back to nine and seven. So yeah, that, that's that's what it'll be. I think it's Tennessee and Baltimore at uh, five and six. Yeah, all right. Uh I'll make mine uh Yeah, I guess I'll go with Tennessee and in, in Baltimore. I, I, I want Buffalo, but they, they you know, they'd have to win this week. Buffalo wins this week, I think they become the favorite for that sixth seed. Um but uh, for the moment I suppose that's true. All right, gentlemen, that'll wrap it up for our round the league pick segment. And that brings us to our four star matchup. Christmas Day, that's what everybody wants to do on Christmas Day is not only watch football, but, you know, imagine NFL football players with kids who don't really want to play on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. You know, be away. They're going to be away on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and there's no Dick LeBeau to read poetry to them. Uh, I'll start with you, Perch. How do you see this working out? I'm going to go against my standard here, and I'm going to say that the Steelers could push on the spread and win exactly by 10. So 27-17 in a game that's closer than it should be, but not as uh, stressful as what it could be. Very nice. Uh, FC? I think the Steelers 19-13. Enjoy fucking that Christmas dinner, <laughs> you know, with indigestion. <laughs> is the Steelers attempt to fucking play with your emotions as much as possible. <laughs> I'll take the Steelers 25-16, right? So they cover, uh, but it's an ugly, uh, I don't know, not necessarily an ugly affair, but it's it's going to be a conservative affair, I think. Um, you know, the goal is to get one more point than the other team this week and keep everybody healthy. Those are 1 and 1A one and uh, and I suspect it's not going to be a game where they take out their their grievances and aggressions against Houston <laughs> this week. But you know, stranger things have happened. Is is Houston officially a dome perch or not really? I think that's a retractable dome, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I, I cheated think my too. way so through I wonder... fucking 
eighth grade geometry, so don't be asking me. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that's why I didn't ask you, but I just want to, you know, bend in a dome, that kind of thing. I feel like I feel a little better about being wrong if the score's higher because this thing's in a dome. But uh, I don't know. I we'll uh, I I think we'll be set. We'll all be satisfied uh, if there's a you know one more point for the Steelers on the scoreboard. Although, you know, it'd be nice to have a game where we weren't having heart attacks at the end for once. You know, even though that's why we love it secretly. Uh, FC, I'll give you the first last word. Uh, it's Christmas. Be nice to everyone. Um, no matter what, don't ruin your family's Christmas if the Steelers... You know what? If the Steelers lose, I'm ruining my fucking family's Christmas. So, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Go Steelers. <laughs> Hypocrite. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll echo the first part of that. Uh, Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy holidays and all that good stuff. Uh, and, and just to echo what you guys said earlier, it, it's had that feeling all year of a, of a Super Bowl season. It's very reminiscent of the 2008 season where they played a bunch of tough defenses and the offense kind of struggled. And they won a ton of close games and last-second field goals. And, you know, it's it's shaping up to be that sort of a season again. It's the most confidence I've ever had that it's, this team can has the pieces in place to beat New England. I think New England's weakened a bit their defense isn't nearly as good as it was last year the Steelers have a lot more pieces of the puzzle it's just going to come down to matchups why you know I really wanted to avoid having to beat Jacksonville and uh, New England on the way to the Super Bowl uh, last week kind of fucked that up but you know what enjoy the ride guys because we only got Ben for you know probably another couple years and when he's gone these uh, postseason runs and, and uh, Super Bowl aspirations are probably gone with it for a while so just enjoy it guys that's all I could say well, my last word is some people believe uh, in Christmas, some people believe in Hanukkah, some people believe uh, in Islam or, or Buddhism or, or that the Coke machine that's located on the corner of uh, 14th Street and Avenue C is a deity. I believe in the Pittsburgh Steelers. I believe in number seven. I don't believe in the NFL. <laughs> Therefore, enjoy whatever you believe in this weekend uh merry christmas to, to those uh who, who believe there and who want to celebrate christmas and let's celebrate with a pittsburgh steelers victory a big one in houston this weekend and talk after that uh, fc thank you perch thank you uh steelerfury.com and all you jokers over there thank you and uh go get them steelers Steeler fury Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.